are constantly evaluating where we're at with e-learning, what are the supports that our students need, that's at the teacher level, what are the supports that our teacher needs, that's at the admin level, what are the supports that our family needs, that's everybody's level. And so it's an ongoing conversation. Some are formal, some are informal. So the challenges that we have faced, we've been able to overcome because of that team effort. Okay, welcome back, Juan Corona and Maribel Taboada. It is our third interview, hard to believe, the third time that we're chatting uh, for the In This Together docu-series. We've been doing this now for about a month and a half and happy to check back in with you and see how things are going um, in District 89, just outside of Chicago. So I wanted to start briefly by talking about sort of how things are going on the ground. I'm trying to ask different people this question because we are, as I look at the news and everything, there is a kind of an uptick in, in virus. It seems like it's semi under control, but just wanted to ask you if things were still kind of level there. Last time we talked, things were going well. It wasn't, you know, a huge issue. Um, are things still okay there or is there a, a change since last time? So as far as, um, you know, the percentage of um, community members or the percentage of, I'm sorry, the percentage of COVID cases in our three communities, it has gone down. Great. So that's a huge success for us as, you know, a community. And again, the number of students that have been impacted and reported to us are minimal. So that's also another um, cause for celebration. As far as our e-learning plan, um, it's only getting better because the teachers are way more comfortable with using the technology, using the virtual setting. And of course, now we have a strong system of support for technology. Um, you know, kudos to all our school administrators who have become technology experts because they're the, you know, the schools are still open, so parents are bringing in their devices. So things are, you know, both from the COVID-19 side where we're seeing a lower decrease of um, COVID cases in Maywood, Melrose Park, and Broadview. So we are hoping to have less than 5% so that we can start bringing some of our at-risk students back to in-person instruction. Um, possibly, of course, our younger students, preschool, um, kindergarten and first grade. So those are the conversations that we are currently having um, as a cabinet team. Great. Well, good news on both fronts. And I'm not going to talk any more about COVID numbers. I just wanted to get a baseline from you. But what great news that things are going down. And hopefully we'll get to that threshold soon so that you can begin bringing those younger um, and perhaps more vulnerable students and vulnerable in terms of, of learning loss, not in terms of, um, of, of risk for the virus. Um, so I want to dive into, we're going to talk more about what you mentioned with virtual learning and remote learning and hybrid learning and everything that goes on with it. Um, and let's actually talk about that uh, as we get started here. Have there been any changes um, in regards to your remote status? I know that you just mentioned, Buddy Bell, that you know at some point you're hoping to bring some students back. But Juan, uh, particularly as it pertains to ELs, is it, is it kind of status quo there, remote all the way, or are you planning to make any changes soon? Well, uh, we obviously we're looking at different uh, factors. Uh, our superintendent has been uh, very uh, involved with looking at data, looking at our communities, and uh, just taking a lot of things into account uh, before any changes or anything is decided. But um, I, I will tell you that when um, I've had uh, parents come in for screening, uh, we've had a lot of uh, great participation. Um, our, we, we practice social distancing, and I know I mentioned it before, but during our screening, our students are wearing their mask. And this is from K through the upper grade. So it, it, I'm always impressed to see the little guys wearing their masks and, and really involved while we do that, uh, that screener. 
Um, and for our older uh, students, they bring their own device. So things have been, you know, on the up and up with that. And I'm, I'm glad to see that. I know it's a small participation, but uh, we're observing uh, all the social distancing guidelines. And um, for the most part, we, we get uh, all the parents coming in. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you did talk about that last time and it's no small feat. I mean, I thought about that a lot when my kids, my youngest is in third grade about going back to school, which he is going back because the only one of my children that's going back. But what's it going to be like wearing a mask all day? Is he going to wear his mask? Are other students going to wear masks? And it really hasn't been an issue, which goes to show, and then we'll talk a little bit more about resiliency later, I think, but the resiliency of our students to be able to just live in a completely different world, you know, night and day um, and be able to do those things that are really really kind of grown up things to do in a world that they have that they're exposed to now. So that's, that's um, really, really nice to hear. Um, you know, and the fact that uh, things seem to be um, going well and that you're sort of making plans to, to bring more students in um, is great as well. Um, you know, you, I know you've also been really blessed. Time we talked a lot about the ability uh, of your district to put devices in the hands of, I think it's, it's is it every student at this point where you, and that was, that was the plan originally, just to remind folks, was three years, and you did it in what? Was it three months? Three months. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I thought I was exaggerating, but I'm not. That, and that's unbelievable. Um, but we talked last time about one of the things, the challenges that came from that is, yes, now everybody has a device, um, but the you were surprised by students and families sort of lack of basic tech skills. We always think these students are digital natives. They're growing up in this world. Of course they know how to use anything. Um, wondering if that, if you've seen improvement in that, um, if both for the students and the families being able to use the technology for more academic and instructional purposes. Um, and, and if not, um, you know, how are you going about addressing uh, making that better? And if so, how, how have they improved? So, no, absolutely, we've seen great improvement. So this is the end of our fifth um, week of school. So we're at a stage where we are now having one-to-one technology sessions with students and their family members so that they're not constantly um, wasting or losing instructional time because they were booted out or they were clicking the wrong button and accidentally um, logged off. And so um, that started this week. Um, as we mentioned before, like the how-to documents has, has really helped us. In addition to that, we already had our open house. So, you know, typically our average for open house in person, you know, runs between 70 and 80%. So we did see a little decrease. And again, that's across the district. And we have close to 5,000 students in three different communities. So our average of in-person is, you know, again, between 75, 70 and 80 um, some schools are like at 95%, but then others are lower. So the average is between that range. With our virtual open house, we had a little bit over 60%. So it was still more than half. But if you think about the number of families that we do serve, um, we were able to connect with the majority of our families. Um, in addition to the open house, we also had Title I parent meetings that was led by a reading specialist. We are happy to um, share that we started our MTSS process last week, so in our fourth week of school. Um, now, is it the, the same MTSS process that we had in person? Absolutely not. The groups are sometimes a little larger um, than we have in person, um, but however, we're starting it. And so we had a decent turnout um, in elementary, but we were pleasantly surprised that at both middle schools, which we had never seen before, we had about 50 to 60 parents um, attend the Title I meeting. 
And when we have that in person, it's literally like 10 or 12. Um, so that was the, you know, from open house to the title one meeting um, this week, we started map testing in person, our students in primary in both of our schools. And so while the students are testing, the principals are taking that opportunity to do like a parent workshop with, with um, the parents. And at one school, they were teaching parents how to use the parent portal, which means that they can stay informed as far as students' grades, um, attendance. Um, they were also teaching them, and we're a little bit past that, you know, basic technology skills. Now we were teaching them, you know, when your child gets logged off, you know, this is the way that you can support them to log them back on, you know, instead of sending an email to the teacher and then the teacher can respond right away. So we're definitely making progress in, in that area. Um, MAP testing is going to continue to October 7th. So every school has planned, we have um, nine schools. So every school has planned some type of parent workshop or activity so the parents know how to support their child at home um, if we continue with the virtual, virtual um, remote learning for second quarter. That's great. So it sounds like you're like a lot of districts are doing and really ingeniously is that you are combining uh, testing that you have to do and that you need to do to sort of assess students. So we'll get into assessment in just a bit, particularly EL assessing, but um, you're combining that with giving parents the opportunity to come in and learn a little bit more uh, about how to use the technology and everything else. And I'd love for you to just um, describe a little bit more, Maribel, and then I'm going to go to Juan and see what you think from the EL perspective in particular. But the the one to one tech sessions that you that you alluded to what what are those that sounds amazing what what are the could you explain those to us so you know um, we have two ways of taking attendance one is for compliance so we enter attendance based on ISDE guidance which basically says you know student gets marked present unless the parent calls them in sick but in our district we're also tracking the attendance of the virtual lessons by content. So we are departmentalized in some cases starting in third grade, um, in all cases starting from fourth through eighth grade. So then if a teacher is noticing that a student is not participating in the live virtual lessons or the students are reporting that they keep getting logged off or the parent communicates to the teacher via dojo, teams or whatever means available, again, I keep reiterating to our educators, it's not about what, but making what we use, but it's about making sure that we are responsive to our parents. So we schedule those one-to-one so that the parent can see that the student is able to do it. They may be choosing not to do it. Mm-hmm. So yep, in the cases that we're finding, they have the skill, but not the will to you know attend the virtual lessons. In some cases, um, one in particular, it was a language barrier. Mm-hmm. So of course, with technology, it's, you know, as long as you know, you can read the word leave, you may not know what it means when you're reading it in your native language. But if somebody tells you, oh, that means that you're going to be kicked out, you know, you're not going to click the button leave anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's like those little things that before we used to take for granted because our screen is not bilingual. Our screen is monolingual. So parents need to know that the red button is going to kick their students out sure. of the virtual lesson. They need to know, you know, the little check mark. What does that mean? Um, luckily, it does have visuals for the stop video and the mute, so that helps. And um, one of the things that I uh, forgot to mention in the previous question, just yesterday we received an additional 450 iPads that are going to be distributed to our preschool students. Oh wow! 
So they were the only um, Koopa students that had, we had not received the iPads because uh, when we put in the order, California had ordered like a million of them. And so they were in back order, but we just received them yesterday. So they're getting um, prepared, whatever that means in the technology world, so that we can put them in the hands of our youngest students. That's great. So equity all around in terms of access to devices, including those really, for those really young kiddos. Um, you know, so why I want to go to you for a second, because Maribel did just mentioned uh, language barrier, that that can be an issue. It's sometimes, you know, you mentioned it's it's not the skill, it's the will, and that is the case many times, but sometimes it could be a language barrier. So, so my question to you is the same, like in terms of, are you seeing technical issues come up uh, specifically as it pertains to English learners? Um, and if so, how are you going about uh, resolving those? And if not, you know, how, how have you managed to do that? Sure. I think uh, in many cases, our parents are, are communicating uh, with our, our staff, whether it be the, their dual language teacher or even their ESL resource teacher. Uh, and in one case that, that I'm aware of, uh, one of our ESL teachers, Guadalupe Taylor, actually takes time uh, during her, her uh, office hours to call the parent, walk them through the steps, uh, indicate exactly what Maribel was stating, what all the uh, little bells and whistles are for Zoom. Um, so that um, the parent as well as the student is aware how to navigate through it. Uh, we're very lucky here that our tech team uh, incorporated Clever. Uh, so it's a matter of logging into Clever and then opening that platform and having access to all the different resources that we have. Yep. Uh, so Ms. Taylor does a great job with that. And uh, I've gotten a, a couple calls from parents saying that um, she has helped them out uh, and how to, how to log in. Um, and we've, we have, from the beginning, when we were distributing uh, our devices, we had many parents that were, that were coming back and I had to create a separate line to kind of walk them through the process. Um, but at, at, like we said, they have the will, they, they want to learn to better support their, their uh, students at home. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that uh, because, you know, it, it and, and, you know, kudos to uh, Ms. Taylor. Is that, is that her name? Yeah. I want to make sure I got it right. Great. And I'm sure there's many others, uh, both your district and many others who are doing that work, which is extra work. There is no doubt about it that it's extra work. But in times like these, it's a complete investment because once you walk somebody through that completely, now they know how to do it. Their student or their child knows how to do it. You know that they have the skill. So if there's an issue, it might be well or, or another issue that you need to um, deal with. But um, that's great. Uh, and so like that, you know, so we, we've talked a lot about the the, techno, the technology piece. You've got into testing a little bit and really the idea of, of, of using both of those um, sort of interactions with parents and students as a way to, to begin or to continue building or nurturing relationships, which we've talked a lot about in the first two episodes and which is, I know, something that you all take very seriously and rightly so. Um, and so... I, I know that focusing on building relationships and social emotional learning is extremely important. It spirals throughout the year. It's never going to end. It's always something that we're working on. Um, but I'm curious in terms of now thinking about instruction and thinking about where these students are given all of the, you know, the, the disruptions that they had starting in March, where are you um, in terms of assessing specifically where your English learners are um, at this point uh, with language development. And Juan, I'll have you kick that question off. I know Maribel talked a little about map testing, but I'd love to look at it from an EL lens. Sure. And, and going off of that, that map assessment, we, we do uh, give our students in the dual language program the uh, Spanish map. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious and, and uh, ready to look at that data 
we obviously use that data. We know it's one data point uh, for us, but it's definitely an indicator of where our students are and what they need. Um, for the most part, our dual language teachers are on top of it. Um, they are, they're constantly bombarding me with emails or our bilingual instructional coach. So another shout out to Barbara Palomo, who fields a lot of those questions. Um, it, it, we're, we're in it together. And, and I love that my staff is always looking at what can I do? What resources do we have? Um, and, and not only coming to me, but to the team. Um, so that, that's great to see. But like I said, it's uh, right now it's a matter of waiting for the map data in Spanish to see where the students are and then uh, creating a plan uh, to address the needs. Yeah, and how nice would it be if they could fast track that data right now? You said it's only one data point, but the lack of data that we have right now, at least in the last six months or so, um, it can, can cause some anxiety. So I know you're probably really looking forward to getting that back, yeah. <laughs> and I, I hope you get it back soon. Um, you know, and 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 with that idea is comes then you get that data, and that's great, but then you do something with it, which is my next question, and I'll, I'll address this one to you as well. Um, I know that you're probably looking for that data and more of that data to be able to, to group students and differentiate effectively. But have you been able to, to do that yet to sort of um, ensure that, that English learners specifically are getting um, uh, equitable access to, to instruction? Or is it really just almost too impossible to do that now without the data that you need? Uh, no, I mean, there's, there's challenges to it, but I think what, uh, what we're looking at right now is uh, looking at those can-do descriptors. Um, from our access uh, data, uh, but then uh, just to, that we talked about it earlier, the collaboration between the classroom teacher and our ESL teacher, because it's, uh, um, what's the word, more intimate uh, environment. So they're, they, they're looking at their students and they're asking, what, can, what else can I do? Which opened the door for that collaborative uh, nature to, to build that organically. Um, so it's pushing those uh, can-do descriptors, um, I've been meeting with be, uh, building leadership to discuss MTSS as it pertains to our English learners um, and, and overall how to best support our students. Um, we're, we're big fans of the PSYOP uh, strategies. So we're mm -hmm. looking at, uh, and we've trained a lot of our teachers in PSYOP. So what we want to do is, is make sure that everyone understands that those PSYOP strategies are great for all students. Um, but to tap into our ESL resource teachers that have that training uh, and help whole class. Yeah, and you know, it, it, this, the, your answers to the last two questions remind me of the last episode, and I ended up titling that episode All Hands on Deck because you mentioned that over and over again, both of you, about how important it was that you had such a collaborative team and groups of people working together. And you did mention last time, um, and you just mentioned now, the idea that um, content teachers are are welcoming and asking for help from EL specialists, which, you know, for the layperson may sound that's totally normal. That happens all the time. But, you know, in our experience, sometimes that that doesn't happen and not because they don't want to, but because they're busy. And one thing that I thought was interesting, the word that you just used or expression you just used one was this is more sort of intimate connection. Um, and, you know, it sounds counterintuitive because we're not, we're, we're remote and it's a different world. But, how are you seeing, um, and, and Maribel, maybe you could take this question from the general sense so we could go down to one. How are you seeing that collaboration evolve between specifically between Yale specialists and content teachers um, over the last few weeks since we last talked in that hybrid or remote, really, environment that you're in now? So um, one of the um, systems and structures that we have 
set in place that has been solid for the last five years since um, Dr. Negron became our superintendent is the concept of professional learning communities. And we're not just saying PLC, say PLC. And so, you know, when we did put our e-learning plan together, we always have that in mind. You know, we function as PLCs and we know with in-person um, instruction, we see the teachers planning together, there's designated planning time. But when we were creating the virtual schedules, the principals were creating the virtual schedules, I don't remember ever saying, make sure that, you know, our ESL resource teachers have common plan time with our gen ed teachers. Um, you know, in conversation with Juan, I don't think we ever made that explicit. However, because it is so embedded into what we do, you know, as a district, that when we, we are now reviewing schedules because uh, with the MTSS um, process started last, last week and with the new data coming in, um, we plan to complete it by October 7th. We're looking to see, are we gonna have to revise some schedules to maximize our human resources? And I noticed um, common plan time and they have like fourth grade team with, you know, Miss so-and-so. And so I was telling Juan, I said, oh my God, even though we weren't really explicit, they, they continued, that they had to continue to do that. The principals did it because it is part of our culture now. Um, again, I've been in the district eight years and um, when I would say common plan time, well, again, this was eight years ago, it would be, so you mean the ESL resource teacher needs to plan with us? Well, no, yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I mean. So fast forward, you know, eight years later and in the middle of a pandemic, they did it on their own, meaning our school leaders. And teachers are looking for that ESL bilingual resource teacher to share some of the strategies. Now, some of the feedback that we received, um, I am fortunate to have a team of eight um, administrators. So I have five coordinators, two directors, one is one of them in my curriculum department and myself. So we visit, we are now the state where we are visiting virtual lessons to give feedback. And so we want to see like a spectrum of where we need to support our, our teachers. So it's not for evaluation processes. Evaluation process is just so that we can determine what are going to be the professional needs of our teachers so we can start offering staff academies after school. And so one of the huge things that came out of that was teachers expressing, middle school teachers expressing that students are truly taking ownership of their learning. Because once they go into the breakout room, they are with an adult, but it could be an instructional assistant. And if they are with the ESL resource teacher or the special education teacher, um, that teacher is responsible for delivering that lesson and ensuring that that student is um, accessing the content. And so that's been great. Um, the other thing that came out of you know, this virtual world now is that because you can't be walking around checking in that students are completing their work, you have to trust that when you tell them, you know, my star group, log off because we can't have students unattended in the breakout room. We've learned that. <laughs> yep. And so yeah. they have to log off. But when they're logging off, it's that asynchronous instruction and the teachers have to trust that they're going to do the assignments that was assigned to them aligned to the lesson that they just delivered. When they come back on for their, you know, last 10, 15 minute check-in, the students have completed the assignment. And if they were not able to complete it, they have specific questions, you know, as to how can I complete this assignment? So that more that ownership, you know, stretching them, stretching their thinking, advocating for themselves, 
So that's, you know, hearing that from middle school teachers through PLC this week was like music to my ears. You know, it's like, that's what we want to do. I'm really glad that you're mentioning how it sort of trickles down to the students because that's crucially important. You know, everything that we do here, we're talking a lot about how you're working with your teams, with your real specialists, with your content teachers, how you and as, as a leadership team are making these high-level decisions. But if that doesn't trickle down to what students are actually doing, then, you know, what's the point? But, you know, obviously teachers need um, to be supported uh, to, to, to go about doing that. Juan, I wonder if you um, had anything to add about sort of what you're seeing about that collaboration and how how it's evolved between um, EL teachers or EL specialists and uh, and content teachers. You know, I, I think in in the past, um, especially at oh, especially at our middle school level, um, our, our students are constantly moving uh, from class to class. So um, if the students miss their their EL um, their EL support, it, they will catch it in another class. But here, uh, just the need of, of the breakout sessions um, has built that collaborative piece. What happens when one leaves your classroom and goes to the next for, from math to reading? And how can we best support that? Um, so that has, that it's growing. Um, and just, uh, I've had gen ed teachers uh, send me emails. I've had principals ask me for support. Uh, it, it's not just a, it's not just my department anymore. We're we're embedded across the district, uh, but I think this remote setting has really flushed it out so that we can uh, so we can be more more support. Yeah, you know, and I'm hearing this not only from districts like yours who have a you know a high percent of English learners, and where you know we've talked about this before, where if you're a teacher in your district, you're going to be working with English learners at some point. There are many districts that we speak with and that we work with, and that are even on this series. That if you're a teacher, you may not have English learners in your classes. However, everybody benefits from collaboration, and everybody benefits. You know, good instruction for English learners is good instructions for everybody. We we hear that all the time. We're preaching to the choir. But what's great is that. Many schools that have a lower percentage of English learners, but do have EL specialists and that are collaborating with their content teachers, whether or not those content teachers are working with English learners now, they are learning new strategies that can help differentiate for all of their students. And just as importantly, they're now prepared to work with English learners when, not if, but when they end up working with them and then when they have the, the, the pleasure of being able to work with, with those students looking at it from an asset-based lens. Um, so I'm really glad to hear this collaboration is happening, and it seems to be happening more now in really every every district that I talk with as a direct result of, of remote learning, um, which is really interesting. Which brings me to my next question, which I have a feeling that I know the answer to, um, even though the answer may seem strange to some people. I, I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to ask, and I'll ask you, what, what are the sort of new challenges or the biggest new challenge that you're facing right now that you're anticipating, and how are you going to go about overcoming them? We'll, we'll see if I'm right about the answer. Well, Quarter one ends October 27th. And as I mentioned um, earlier, we are meeting to decide what's gonna be our instructional model for quarter two. Um, the one thing that I've been, you know, I forgot to mention earlier is that not only are we in this virtual setting, but we're also rolling, piloting standards-based grading. So one of the challenges that I anticipate is, um, Parents may not really understand what a level one, two, three, and four. Again, we're piloting with fourth grade across the district. And although it's only one grade level, it's still 20 plus teachers, which means there's, you know, hundreds of students that are going to receive a standards grade, 
standards-based grading report card uh, this year. So we have a parent meeting on Monday. So that's one of the challenges. Um, it's not the same explaining a report card, you know, face-to-face -face, um, during parent-teacher conferences as it's going to be through a virtual parent-teacher conference. And we are being proactive and having parent meetings to explain um, standards-based grading, but that's, when it, that's going to be a challenge. Um, it's also a challenge for our teachers to learn a new grading system virtually. But again, I can't sit next to them and show them, well, you know, this is how you enter it, this is how you analyze it. Um, you may notice I'm sitting at a school because I am meeting with principals so that they understand how to grade and how to use the rubrics and how to enter the levels into PowerSchool so that they can be the support for the teachers. Because again, empowering, building capacity of our school leaders. Um, so that's, you know, again, SVG challenge. Um, making that decision um, of who's gonna come back first, for me, it's a personal challenge because we keep saying, you know, our English language learners are that at-risk category. You know, that's how they are um, labeled in the ISBE guidance document that was released over the summer. Of course, our special education students are also in that category. Um, in our school district, we look at all, all our students, right? And so when we look at our data, especially when we look at our data over time, we do have monolingual students that are performing sometimes lower than our English language learners. So, you know, in my position, I have to worry about close to 5,000 students. And I'm grateful for Juan because he does too. You know, he's not that director that just worries about, you know, the 1,500 students in his department. And so we're constantly having that conversation. You just said, Steve, Good strategies are good strategies. And so how can we take what we do for our ELs and we're seeing success to our, to our students that are monolingual, but still having academic struggles because of low income, whatever the case might be. So that's gonna be our challenge, identifying the right group of students because they all have needs, whether they're SEL or academic, and who are we gonna bring back first and how? We have the blended model. Anything on paper looks great, but the execution of a plan goes back to that team effort that we continue yeah. to speak about. Yeah, so it sounds like two major things. One, that new standards-based system that you have in place, that's tough no matter what. I've been through that as a teacher, you know, in a in a face-to-face -face environment, it's not easy. In a virtual environment, that could be even more difficult. And then it sounded like the second thing that you were alluding to is what the next steps are going to be and how do you decide who goes back when, which by the way, is what I was thinking that you were, you were going to say. Um, I won, and oh, I wish also mentioned that it's a really good sign and, and, and evidence that we chose uh, the right people to be on in this together, that you are at a school as an assistant superintendent right now. So I just wanted to throw that in as well. It's always never good when they're only in their offices. When we can see someone in a school, uh, it's evidence that these people are out in schools, uh, you know, and, and despite all of their busy schedules and the other things they have to do. So thanks for that. Juan, anything to add there? Would you echo those as being the biggest challenges or what is it for you thinking about the next couple of weeks? Yes, and, and you know, um, around our, our area, there are schools that are um, that operated in a hybrid. And so it's not a question of when we come back, it's how do we come back? And like Maribel just said, we, we do have that hybrid plan. Um, I, I think there is a, a lot of um, nervous nervous feeling for, for some of us. Um, I, I do know that... Um, 
over the summer and with our, our teams, we, we were very meticulous on what we want to do and how we want to do it. Um, and, you know, obviously, again, Maribel said we have a plan and we don't want to jump the gun, so to speak, as to carry our, our, um, our community back into our schools, uh, only to having to shut down again. So it's just a waiting period right now. And, and I think uh, how we laid out our remote plan and um, the support that we're giving SEL, our resources, our devices. Um, and we just heard from our, our tech director that uh, we've, we've, um, are installing our, um, our Wi-Fi, uh, um, I forget what he called it. More access points, yeah. additional access points so that um, our community members that have, our students that have district-owned devices can log into our network. Oh, great. Yeah, so that, that's something that we're putting things in place. So whether we, we come in or not, um, we're prepared. But, you know, I'll, I'll sort of, I'll, I'll admit what I was going to, what by, I thought, how I thought you were going to respond was, you know, my biggest challenge is what happens when we come back, which I think is like the most, it, it, you're kind of getting to that a little bit, but it's the most ironic thing because it's what everybody wants. But now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a certain, and it's actually a really good thing. There's a certain level of comfort now with like, okay, We've been through this. We know how to do it. We're working really hard to make it happen. And it will be almost in some ways, certainly when it comes to just anxiety about the virus and everything else, but even in other ways, a little uncomfortable to go back to school after doing this this way. And um, I think that's kind of a good sign because where there's discomfort, that means that you got comfortable with something else in a very short period of time. So um, that's just been a really interesting dichotomy that I've uh, noticed. I don't even know if that's a dichotomy. I may have used the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, okay, anything, I, I wanna uh, wrap it up here, but I'm, I'm curious if, um, I asked this question last time and I just think it's an interesting question to ask. We haven't talked in a few weeks. What has been the biggest surprise for both of you um, over the last couple of weeks? Last time you said, uh, I think I think one, you actually mentioned that that students were, it was the ability of students to actually wear the masks and like be in a, work in an orderly fashion. That was a huge surprise for you. Um, you uh, Maribel, I think you mentioned that you were able to disperse all that technology in such a short period of time. A few weeks have gone by. What's the surprise now? Now, uh, For me, it's just been resiliency uh, across the board, uh, whether it be with our students, our, our parents, or our, our teachers is if they, they uh, come across an obstacle, um, they are looking for solutions to either get uh, access to resources or ask important questions to get the support that they need. It's just being resilient. It's not, they're not waiting like, well, nobody told me to, I didn't know we could do that. They're actively looking for ways to get support. Uh, and in, in the process, helping us um, bring those resources or bring to light like, oh, we need to adjust that or we need to accommodate in a different way. Uh, but our parents have, have been uh, very vocal in the things that they, they want, which uh, brought us to having our hotspots. Um, the staff always looking for resources. Um, and then our students having the device, many for the first time, and uh, with support from their teachers, learning how to navigate. And uh, it's, it's becoming a routine, but it's because they've become building that resiliency. That's great. So resiliency in a variety of ways. And I have to say, I don't know why you're surprised about these things anymore, because every time I speak with you, it, it seems to be that people are doing great things over that. It seems to be the common denominator. Um, but the resiliency uh, and the and the collaboration, I think, are, are huge assets that you all have there. 
Maribel, for you, is it the same or you have something different? Um, no, I mean, I, I would agree, you know, 110% with, with what Juan just said, you know, and we do have a lot of great work happening. And I think, you know, I would um, be lying if I didn't say we also have our challenges, but I think because we are collaborative and we have the right people around the table when we're making decisions, again, going back to from our school level leaders to our union executive board, our teachers and, you know, as cabinet coordinators, um, any challenge that is presented, we go into problem solving mode instead of just getting frustrated. So I don't want to come across as, you know, everything is, you know, going great. It is. But I think it's because we are constantly evaluating where we're at with e-learning. What are the supports that our students need? That's at the teacher level. What are the supports that our teacher needs? That's at the admin level. What are the supports that our family needs? That's everybody's level. And so it's an ongoing conversation. Some are formal, some are informal. So the challenges that we have faced, we've been able to overcome because of that team effort. Um, and there's some things like the hotspots. We ordered them four weeks ago. We haven't received them. Um, the iPads, they're, they're out of our control. But instead of, you know, just being upset about it, it's communicating, well, you know, we haven't received them, parents, but they are coming, you know, hopefully in a few days and we'll distribute them as soon as um, they're available instead of just leaving, leaving them out there with no communication. So that ongoing communication um, is, is key. Great. Well, it sounds like things are going well. And you mentioned that nothing's perfect, obviously, but you have to kind of be able to roll with it at this point. Um, Anything coming up the next couple of weeks uh, in terms of either professional development or what you're looking to do moving forward that we can talk about before we wrap it up? Um, yeah. So for as far as professional learning, we are continuing our work with Dr. Jose Medina. He is the author of the co-author of the Dual Language Guiding Principles. We are going to have, you know, as I mentioned before, our parent teacher conferences. So that's some form of learning for our parents. Um, we're going to have standards-based grading, parent presentation, and teacher presentation coming up. Um, another huge um, goal that we have in District 89 is, of course, being culturally responsive. And so we're going to start um, CLR coaching with Dr. Shiraki Holly. So although we are in this, again, virtual world, we continue to move along with our district goals that are laid out for us in the strategic plan. And I think that's what keeps us together. It keeps us motivated. Um, Juan can see, I, I check off every time we start, you know, I'm working towards a goal. Like I check it off, I date it. And then, you know, I kind of track the progression of that um, because that's how we are able to continue to grow as educators collectively. Great. Yeah. And I'll just say that um, in terms of Dr. Jose Medina, I'm going to be speaking with him next week on the podcast, which I'm really looking forward to. It'll be an interesting topic. He's um, He has a lot of really good and relevant, especially um, now relevant stuff to share. And I'll leave it at that. Um, people can learn more about him uh, if you want to. And, uh, and I look forward to that conversation um, that I'm having with him next week. And it's great that he's giving you some PD. Um, well, that is uh, it for our third episode. I want to leave it there. Um, looking forward to the next one. We'll do um, at least one more before we do something different in a panel style, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But I want to thank you again. I'm very grateful for the time that you've uh, given us and the time that you'll continue to give us. And um, it's really great to get a peek inside what's going on in your district and find out um, what's happening. And hopefully this is helpful for others as well. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Thank you.